This is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. I think it's one of the richest stories we have about because it deals so beautifully with resurrection. But what I need you to do is listen for a process by which resurrection happens in the life of Simon. Listen for the actions that he's required to take. Look at this whole story. It is a beautiful narrative. And see if you can find those points of resurrection as Shannon reads this morning. Hear the word of God through the Gospel of John. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, For they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you that when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands 
and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Shannon. We spent five and a half hours at Home Depot yesterday. Please pray for us. Five and a half hours. Now, I have to mention, Dorothy, that what I said at first service was I married a picky woman. And uh, there it is. Five and a half hours, and we bought lumber and tools and all kinds of things because where we're headed is to do some major renovation work on our home up out of Hoodsport. What I have to tell you, though, is those boards and those shakes and all that stuff are not going to go up on that building by themselves. I know. And we're not going to hire somebody to do it for us. We love doing this kind of work, but five and a half hours at Home Depot. Five and a half hours. I mention that simply because, as I say, the materials that we purchased yesterday are not going to go onto that house on their own. We have spent months planning, years literally planning, for what's coming next for that home. We've now kind of designated the days and the times and the projects that are going to happen at certain times so that by September or October we can have it pretty much where we'd like it to be. But it's going to take effort and work and dedication and focus and maybe even some help. Maybe. Even some help. Maybe even some counseling. Um, but we spent, without argument, five and a half hours at Home Depot yesterday. I want you to think about Peter with that in mind. Just think about Peter for a second and what he has come through. I want you to think about the events that we've talked about, particularly just before Easter. That here was the man, the man that had been chosen to be the foundation, the rock of the future church. The man who had been set up to be the one who was going to take it all forward. And then there on that Friday evening, and we remember this, Thursday night into Friday, that it was that man, who then denied even knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. In the time of Jesus' greatest need, Peter deserted him. Cut him loose. Let him go. And then watched somewhere in the distance, probably, if he was even there, the one that he had followed for three years be crucified and die. Can you imagine the weight of that? I want you to feel the weight of that this morning. The weight of that death inside of Peter. Even as Jesus is now resurrected, Peter is still feeling the weight, the weight of that desertion. We need to feel this. Because as we talk about resurrection, as I've said over the last couple of weeks, that we can't really understand the beauty and the glory and the wonder of resurrection if we have not ourselves felt some weight of the kind of death, that tomb time. 
I want to ask you this morning, when was the last time you may have felt alone, absolutely alone, even in a full room? And what was underneath that? When was the last time you felt lost, even in the midst of a life that feels very abundant? I'm not sure there's anybody in this room that has not felt some of those things at some time in life. We all have. And whether it's the circumstances that happen around us or the circumstances that happen within us, most often those things are combined. But if we open ourselves and take the appropriate actions, often what will happen is we will be raised from those. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. Before that, I want to talk about breakfast. And not just the breakfast of champions. What is it about breakfast, and particularly when someone else makes us breakfast, that is so special? When was the last time you made breakfast for somebody? (laughs) <laughs> Lee just chortled. It was... Um, well, she probably does that every day, probably. But, but, but when was the last time? When was the last time you received breakfast from someone as a gift in that morning? When was the last time that happened? And, you know, the hope is it's somebody you know well, right? But, but, but think about breakfast and, and the, the, kind of, the kind of preparation that it takes when you don't even know what's happening, if someone's making breakfast for you, they're got, they've gotten up early, they've gotten all the stuff, and what you wake up to, remember what you wake up to? This wafting smell of waffles. Or turkey bacon. Or pancakes, or eggs, or even better, freshly brewed, wonderful coffee and you wake up to this amazing thing and you should see the looks particularly of couples in the room right now exchanging glances what i was told is you ready for this i had no idea eric Lilly, who often comes to second service but came to first service bless you cooks breakfast for his family and now for melinda every single sunday gentlemen i want you to hear that every sunday now, he doesn't get up early. He does it after worship. Okay, there's, you know, there's some give and take here. What is it about breakfast that does this? And here we are in the midst of this story where these disciples, and notice which disciples they are. You have Simon, who has now gone from being Petros, Peter, back to his original name because he's no longer potentially the foundation of the church inviting these other four disciples to go with him. And by the way, this whole event takes place not in Jerusalem where all the events of Easter and Holy Week took place, but 140 miles to the north again, up in the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, where most of these guys are from. And what do they do? But late this night, Peter invites them to go fishing. Who goes fishing late at night? I mean, you want to be there early in the morning when the fish are kind of rising, but these guys go fishing late at night. Who's there in this story? Remember? Petros, Simon, now, the one who denied Jesus. Next is Thomas, of doubting Thomas fame, the one who questioned everything about what this man was. There's Nathaniel in that boat as well that night. And Nathaniel was the one that Jesus identified under the tree who really had no interest in following him in the first place until he did this miracle thing with him. 
And then there's the other two, the sons of thunder, James and John, who were the sons of thunder who vied for who was the greatest, right? Who was the greatest among them? That's who's gathered in the boat. This is not the dream team that anybody imagined. Nobody. But there they are, gathered. And all night they have cast their nets, right? Cast them over and over and over again, almost in this incredible, methodical way as each is dealing with the events that have been taking place that are weighing on them all night. The first gray light of morning comes over the hills and there they are still fishing. And a small voice is heard from the shoreline. Friends, have you caught anything? The resounding answer, I'm sure, in a very frustrated tone was no. But then come these words. And notice the words. Cast your nets on the right side. Do you notice that? Cast your nets on the right side of the boat. And they cast the nets out, and you know how the nets work at that time as they they spread on the water, and they sink because they're weighted, and as they pull the nets up, the ropes on the bottom become kind of engaged and, and connect at the bottom, and they begin to pull up, and they feel the weight of those fish. And the writhing of those fish. And suddenly, John turns to Peter, having recognized suddenly the voice that came over the water that morning, and says, it is the Lord. Peter didn't hear it. Didn't recognize it. Until those words from John. And what does he do? Because in those times you get down to as little clothing as you can, he puts on his outer garment, dives into the the cold water of that early morning and swims a hundred yards. That's a football field. A hundred yards to shore. Soaking wet, he gets in and begins to run toward Jesus. Only to then suddenly realize the events that had taken place and he suddenly stops overwhelmed with the guilt. And he stops. Jesus says to him, time to go back. You go back and help those guys bring those fish in. So he does, back in the water, goes out, brings the fish, pulls the nets up. Jesus then says, bring me some fish. And they bring fish. And he cooks them breakfast. But notice how he does it. Notice the description that Shannon read. First, he takes bread and he breaks it. And he offers it to them. Then he takes the fish and offers it to them. Does this remind you of any story that we've heard in Scripture at any time? But wasn't there a young boy who at some point, in the hunger of 5,000 people, Jesus takes bread and takes fish and they are multiplied A hundredfold, a thousandfold, five thousandfold, and everyone is fed. Amazing that this would begin again at this point on this early morning fire, but he's not done. Then he looks at Peter, 
And he says, Peter, Simon, not Peter, Simon, do you love me? Can you imagine the weight of the guilt at that point? Lord, you know I love you. I do love you. Feed my lambs, he says. Feed my children. Simon, do you love me? God, Jesus, you know that I love you. Tend my flock. Simon, do you love me? At this point, Peter being Peter, or Simon being Simon, gets exasperated. I can see him falling to the ground and saying, Lord, at his feet, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep, he says. And notice this progression, an incredible progression of starting with the smallest among them and moving to the next piece of the flock and now outward to all of the sheep. And then he talks about Peter's death. This is an amazing story of resurrection. For every denial comes a forgiveness piece. For every time that he deserted him comes an opportunity to reinstate him. It is an amazing story of resurrection, but it comes at a cost. Notice that Jesus does not just say, okay, done, you're done, you're forgiven, be resurrected. There are actions that are required in the midst of this, and it is amazing if you look at those actions throughout this whole story. First of all, they have to hear his voice and recognize that voice. Do you recognize the voice of God in your life? Then, He puts on his outer garment and takes the action of going and finding him to spend time with him, to make sure that they're okay. And we have to do that in our lives, that action. We have to do that. Then he sends him out to help, and that's another part of what we are required to do if we're truly to understand resurrection. It begins inside and moves outside with the actions of assisting and helping others. But notice it's about fish. And I don't, I don't like thinking of the metaphor of anybody outside a church being fish. Any more than I like the metaphor of anybody inside the church being a stupid sheep. <laughs> Sometimes, friends, we are. We are. But what happens inside, what happens inside us is so important. What happens inside us first is so important. If we haven't experienced this love and grace and forgiveness and hope and life and laughter, then how do we share it with anybody else? But part of what we're called to do is to share it with others. And i got to tell you, we live in a time and in a place where hope is absolutely needed. Where there is darkness all around us and, and there is hope and light and love and nourishment needed at almost every level. And might we gather then those in need of these things to bring them in again for some opportunities for new life. Then there's the feeding that happens. And in the midst of feeding, we get filled. In the midst of being filled, we become focused. So we're fed and filled and focused so that again we can turn out and go to those in need and assist them and help them and bring them good news, whatever that good news may be. That is what we're called to be. Last week I talked about how we are resurrection for others. I talked about going from the simplicity to the incredible abundance that we saw in the flower cross that was sitting right here. 
We have to live that abundance in order to share that abundance. We have to. Or the equation doesn't work. So I want to ask you a couple questions as I close. When was the last time you allowed God to bring you nourishment in the early morning? When was the last time that you allowed God to feed you in the early morning? The reason that breakfast is mentioned here is because that is the beginning of a new day. Always represents the beginning of a new day. In the midst of this scripture, what you have, you have three, the number three mentioned at least three times, which always means holy. That this is an incredibly holy event that is taking place here. And what we need to do when we take the nourishment from God in the morning and receive that beautiful gift of nourishment from God in the morning, it's a holy moment and we begin a new day. Filled, fed, and focused for what God is asking us to be and do in that new day. And by the way, that's what this is all about. And I know we're not to communion yet, but I need to open this up. This is our monthly reminder to be fed and filled and focused. This is our monthly reminder that as I break the bread, as we prepare to be fed and filled with this, it is always a reminder that we're being called to live the life that Jesus lived. That we're being called to study, to know, to be filled, and then go out and fill others. It's a constant reminder. The cup is a reminder that it is sacrificial. That what we do is unlike anything that many others do. It is sacrificial that we take this on. And ours is to bring hope. Again, one more thing. On Wednesday and on Sunday, I begin the class on Revelation. I'm not teaching this class because people are so curious about the book of Revelation. It is a bizarre book. But there is a significant, deeper message in this book that is the journey of our own souls. Done in a bizarre language, and we're going to spend one week unlocking the language. That's it. And then we're going to explore the book at a much, much deeper level and how it influences and impacts us as it did to those seven early churches back in the day. It is an incredible book of hope, but there are specific requirements that John of Potmos, the man who wrote this letter, significant, significant requirements contained within this letter that help us understand what it means to live a life of faith. I want to invite you, whether you can come to the class or not, I'm going to be doing weekly kind of newsletter pieces about this. To read those, and let's take this study on together for the next nine weeks. We are to be hope. We are to be new life. We are to be that place that serves breakfast, metaphorically and sometimes physically. As we prepare for that, as we look at being fed and filled and focused, will you pray with me? God, we thank you for 
the hope that every day in our lives can be a new and fresh day. But it requires things of us. It requires our requires us opening ourselves to the power that you bring that can live in and work through each one of us. Personal resurrection is vital and you offer it every minute of every day if we are but to turn and dive in. Help us dive in. Help us engage. Help us look with your eyes into this world of need. And then take those things on, but help us continually refill our tanks with the abundance of life that you offer to us at every moment of every day. Guide us, fill us, feed us, focus us in this time. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.